The presenting sponsor of Behind the Beak is Down in Front Productions. DIFP is a video production company located in Birmingham, Alabama that strives to provide high-quality video services for your business or event at very competitive prices with a personal approach. They specialize in sporting events, weddings, and business videography, but also provide recording and video editing work for other events such as seminars, commercials, and concerts. Give Dustin and the crew a call at 205-588-0868 or visit them at difpbham.com. That's difpbham.com to see how they can help you. Down in Front Productions, the presenting sponsor of Behind the Beat. Behind the Beat, the official podcast of Jacksonville State Athletics. Now, here's your host, Tyler Brown. Hello, everyone, and welcome into Behind the Beat, the official podcast of Jacksonville State Athletics. I'm Tyler Brown, and this is episode number 29 of the series. We took a week off, and I hope that everyone enjoyed a safe and happy 4th of July. We're back this week, and today I'll be talking with outside linebackers and special teams coach Max Thurmond. He's joining me later to talk about his career and returning to his alma mater to coach. But first, a few housekeeping notes and some news. If you missed last week's episode, I sat down with former Gamecock and Major League closer Todd Jones. We talked about his early days in baseball at JSU, his MLB career, and how he is spending his time since he hung up the cleats in 2008. If you want to go give it a listen, all previous episodes of the podcast can be streamed at jsugamecocksports.com slash podcasts on Apple Podcasts and on Spotify. Also online right now, the latest episodes of At Home with the Gamecocks presented by Ford features the basketball staff's Tyser Anderson, women's basketball's Taylor Hawks, and former tennis star Greg Harley. Hosted by the voice of the Gamecocks, Mike Paris, At Home with the Gamecocks is available now at jsugamecocksports.com. Over in athletic news, the cross-country team announced its 2020 schedule just recently. Both the men and women will take part in five regular season meets, that lead up to the OVC Championships on Halloween in Clarksville, Tennessee. For more on the schedule, that includes two home runs at Chocolock Park in Oxford, head over to jsugamecocksports.com and click on the cross-country tab. In women's golf, head coach James Hobbs saw four of his student-athletes named to the Women's Golf Coaches Association's All-American Scholars list. Lane Dyer, Claire Vermette, Valentina Caret, and Anna Perez-Altuna received the honors after leading the Gamecocks with a 3.67 GPA for the 2019-2020 academic year and a 3.81 GPA during the spring semester. The 3.67 GPA is the program's second-best yearly mark in program history. Congratulations to those girls. And recently released on social media, Syracuse announced it will host the men's basketball team for a non-conference matchup on December 10th at the Carrier Dome. That's everything new happening around athletics, and now it's time for today's featured guest. Max Thurman lettered at Jacksonville State from 1996 to 2000 and received his degree in exercise science in 2001. After a career that saw him wrap up 63 tackles, Thurman began coaching at JSU. He spent seven seasons on the sidelines, helping the Gamecocks to three OVC championships. After the 2012 season, he spent a season at Reinhardt, two years at West Alabama, and two seasons at OVC foe Austin P. He coached at Central Arkansas in 2018 and Charlotte in 2019, but he's back home in Jacksonville to serve as JSU's outside linebackers and special teams coach. Here is this week's guest, Max Thurman. Joined on the podcast this week by Max Thurman. Max is kind of a homecoming for you, uh, returning to Jacksonville State, coaching uh, outside linebackers and special teams. Uh, welcome to the podcast, first of all. Hey, appreciate you having me, Tyler. It's, it's my first podcast, so it'd be <laughs> so you have to excuse me for any mishaps. Oh no, it's, it's, it's going to be fun. Be, uh, I know a lot of our fans already know you, and this will be kind of a uh, catching catching our older fans up and kind of tell them you know kind of where you've been the last few years and then for our new fans new students an introduction to you but graduated in 2001 from Jacksonville State you played from 96 to 2000 you were a cornerback racked up 63 tackles and you you haven't been on campus as a as a coach since 2012 really uh 
you know, fast forward to 2020, how much has this place changed since Man, you were here? It, it's a ton. It's it's awesome to see the growth of the place. And, like, you see Dr. Killingsworth getting to become the president. You get to see Greg Sykes that gets to be the full-time AD. And just seeing the people that were here when you were here, you seeing them grow in their professional career. And it's just awesome when you get a chance to come back and, you know, you see those people and just seeing, you know, the stadium. It was built in 10, but just seeing – you know, the kids living over there and the university buying, it used to be called the Reserve of Jacksonville Place, but now it's called The Point, and our guys stand in apartments, which, you know, that was the things that you always have wanted and you could see it happening, but it would, it never got a chance to happen, and just, it's crazy just to see people talk about how small Jacksonville is or hear people say, like, man, it's not a big town compared to what it was in 1996 when I first showed up here. You're from Sylvester, Georgia. You played at Worth County High School. How did you find Jacksonville? How did Jacksonville find you? Well, it's a funny story. So it was uh, four. We had three linebackers that I played with, and then there was a safety. Then there was myself, who was the corner. And so between Charles Kelly, who's the uh, he's at the University of Alabama now, and Joe Bisley, who's uh, works at Gaston City now, those guys were on the Coach Burgess, and they came to Sylvester, Georgia, to recruit the linebackers and the safety. So I was the little tag along guy. <laughs> But, you know, and all those guys, we had all played together from Little League all the way up through. And, like, we played ball together for the time we were five years old. And so it was a easy choice to come to Jacksonville State because Jacksonville State was the one place that wanted all of us. Uh, a couple of us had a chance to go to Georgia Southern. A couple had a chance to go to East Tennessee State. And so it was like a Jacksonville State was the only place that was going to allow all of us to come and play together. And so – we had, it was uh, Natasha James, Cornell Buford, LeConte Woodard, and then myself. Four of the five came here. Then one guy went to East, East Tennessee State. So four of the five of us got a chance to play together. Now, one left early. You know, he just decided football wasn't for him, but he's a police officer over in uh, Atlanta. And the other three of us all finished, graduated from here, and we got a chance to play ball together. So it was pretty cool. And you went right into coaching as soon as you graduated. You graduated in 2001 with your degree in exercise science, and then you were on the coaching staff. Was that something that you had always wanted to do, or did that kind of develop as you played football here? Well, I always knew I wanted to coach because, you know, I knew I wasn't good enough. I was just lucky enough, and I fooled enough coaches to give me a chance to get on the football field. <laughs> you know, not many people looking for five, four, and a half, and 150-pound corners, you know, at the FCS level. And so just getting a chance to play and – I was always a guy that took pride in making sure I understand my job and also understanding all the guys' job around me. So I was a, a lot smarter football player than I ever was talented football player. And so I knew I wanted to coach. And so when I finished playing, I was kind of in that, that grace period of like, okay, football's over, what's the next step? And a lot of times guys finish and you don't really know how to achieve the next step. You just know what you want to do. And I was living in Campus Inn apartment, number one, right across from Camp, uh, University Police Station. And Coach Crow stops by because everybody would hang out because I was the hangout guy. And so <laughs> everybody would hang out at my apartment and they would cause traffic jams. And Coach was like, hey, are you going to sit on this corner the rest of your life or what are you going to do? <laughs> and I was like, well, I want to go back to my high school like everybody else. I want to go back and coach. He said, do you really want to call? I was like, yes, sir, I want to coach. And he's like, well, come on, help us out, and it'll look good on your resume. And I was like, okay. Cool. Like, I had no idea about being a student assistant, a graduate assistant, anything of that nature. And during that time, you know, if a group was short, you had to get in and still perform the physical activities. <laughs> well, mind you, I was about four months removed from football and <laughs> never touched a weight or did any kind of physical activity. And so, you know, it kept me in shape for a little while. And, you know, that's how I got my start in coaching, just to work on the uh, coach steward and, you know, just learn the game of football and the ends of the, what you know as a player is nowhere near as how much you don't have any idea how much it goes goes into it from the coaching aspect of it. And that's what really then it started to intrigue me to see, like, okay, this is why they ask us to do this versus just doing it because I was told to do it. Now you start understanding why it was, you were trying to get a chance to do it. And that's how I got into coaching, you know, between Coach Crow and Coach Stewart. They gave me a chance, and uh, the rest is history. You've got a history of building up programs, too. And you, you look at the years that you were at JSU, 2001, 2012, during that time you won – three OVC championships, and we'll talk about, you know, some more championships you've won down the road with other coaching staffs. But what did it mean to be able to build the program up and set it up? You you go and win three OVC championships, and you put it on the right path to win its five straight as of recent. 
Well, I think the big thing was uh, that the guys who came in, like it was and when Coach came in our senior year. So I was a senior when Coach Crow came in, and he sat down with us as seniors, and he said his – we had a first meeting with him. He said, I don't care about wins and losses. I want to find out who loves the game of football. And during that time, it was, you know, it was a version of the Junction Boys, <laughs> you know, <laughs> because there was not as many rules and guidelines and things that they are in place now. And so his deal was he we were going to practice so hard and so long to make sure that everybody played the game of football, loved football. And to see when you remove three years later to see us having a chance to win the OVC in 2003, and those guys that were freshmen that came in were not juniors, well, they all they knew was how to work hard. And they just knew how to work hard. And when we moved into the OVC, it became a deal where we were going to outwork everybody that we played. And it was really special to see those guys as juniors. Then you come back and see them as seniors, and, you know, you repeat it and go back to back. Well, then you get – you kind of get a little bit complacent, and that's what I talk about. You know, I tell people from outside, just looking at what Coach Gross and the staff has been able to do, I said it's really hard to repeat and then three-peat, four-peat, and win the fifth one. I said it's really hard because winning is contagious, so it's losing. And, and when you win, the more complacent you get because you get guys that think, hey, this is what we're supposed to do, and sometimes you don't work quite as hard. And that's what happened to us in 2005. And so we got a chance to get better six. Then seven, we wasn't very good. Eight, we had a chance to get Ryan Perilou, and he came in, and he was a difference maker, one of the best quarterbacks to play through here. You know, he would be in that conversation with Ed Led, Montressa, Eli, and, you know, he'd be in that conversation with those guys for a quarterback play that played here. And we got a chance to win one in nine. Nobody counts that, that one just because of we were on APR trouble. And so we won it in nine, and then, you know, we beat Ole Miss in 10, and then we get a chance to go to the playoffs, and then we get a chance to share it in 11. So it was just special, the guys that came through, and that they just worked really hard and believed in what we asked them to do. And, like, it's funny, you go back and look at Facebook. Now, they'll start a group, uh, group message or a group post on there, and they'll start talking about some of the things that we did. And, like, if you were to do them today, how would they go over? <laughs> and it's really funny to listen to those guys talk and just watch the comments, and it's really funny just looking at that. But it was an awesome time, man. Just anytime you have success and when guys – achieve goals that they said it's always rewarding as a coach when you see those guys do it and you know it was all about those guys buying in like we didn't have any magic you know and it's just those guys buying into what they were asked to do and they were doing it and they got a chance to reap the benefits of it you talk about the three championships and then it was just last night i was talking to someone about the uh the close game against florida state and you look at the final score and the final score really kind of doesn't tell the story of that game and then Obviously, you talk about the Ole Miss win of your years here through your first stint. What's your most memorable moment? It would, out of all those wins, the most memorable moment would be the 2009 season because we won APR trouble. It was like the first we were one of the first schools to ever get a postseason ban where you could not go to the playoffs. We had one of the best players in the country, which is Ryan Perilou. We were. Oh, pretty good on defense and offense was doing pretty well. And at that time, that was the first time where guys could leave and be eligible to play anywhere and they wanted to go play because we couldn't go to the playoffs. And those group of guys bought in and said, hey, we're going to stay here. We're just going to play. And it was really special that those guys bought into that. And that's why we had the kind of year that we had in 2009, even though none of the wins or losses counted and the OVC and all that kind of stuff. But it was special with those guys just buying into something, knowing they were playing. They didn't have a chance to win a conference championship, did not have a chance to go to the playoffs. But we had a really good year. I think we finished 8-3, and three, if I'm not mistaken. But we had a really good year, and it was all because those guys bought into something bigger than just, you know, themselves. They bought into being a team and being a brotherhood and staying close together. After you leave Jacksonville State, you spend a year at Reinhardt. Uh, West Alabama from 2014-2015, you coached a guy named Tyreek Hill that's with oh, yeah. the Kansas City Chiefs. What was it like to coach a talent like that? It, it was special because what happened is whenever we would do uh, – if he ever dropped a punt, which he very rarely did, I would always yell at the punter, stop punting the ball where he can't catch it. <laughs> <laughs> so it was always a punter's, it was always your punter's fault if Tyreek ever dropped a punt. But he was special, man, and he was a really good kid, really quiet kid, like, you know, never really said much. Uh, he came in and 
like it's a really funny story. He came in, like had a hard time getting into places. He had some things that went on at Oklahoma State, and he had a hard time getting into places. And he was able to get in our university, and like, and he showed up like on a on a Monday, and so he practiced like five days, and we played our first game, and nobody had any idea he was on our football team. And the first time we punt to him, they punt to him, he catches it, and then he gets about. 10 yards the next time they punt to him he returns for a touchdown well the next time they punt, he returns for a touchdown again and a funny story about that is we were playing Stillman with Dean Kelly a guy that came to Jacksonville State was the punter for Stillman Australian <laughs> yes and so he punted to Tyreek and he returned two for a touchdown in that game you know and so it was just really special like it was a when people say they saw four twos and four threes before like that was the first time I realized like man I've been mistaken like yeah I've yeah, I've never seen one. I now know what it looks like. <laughs> so he was a really, really fast player and really good kid. And, you know, you just – all the stuff he's doing now, like, it doesn't amaze me because I saw it – I saw him do it for 11 games, and it was – I mean, he's the same way he was in the Gulf South. He did the exact same thing he's doing in the NFL. After uh, West Alabama, you spent two years at Austin P. and I know uh, for football coaches, you know, it's kind of a fraternity. You guys have connections. How did you get connected with Will Healy, and how did you get into Austin P. and Clarksville? Well, Brandon Cooper came in to Jacksonville State in 2011 and 12 with Chris Boone when he was the defense coordinator here. And so and now he and I worked together here for two years, and then he goes to Chattanooga in 13. And uh, you left out one of my stops. I had Pell City on that, too. I was ah, at high school. Yeah, I was at high school. So when I was at Pell City, he was at Chattanooga. And so it's really funny story. So I go to – he was interviewing for the job at Reinhardt. Well, and on his way to Reinhardt, they call it off him a job at Chattanooga. So he goes to Chattanooga. So now I – now after he doesn't take the job at Chattanooga, I get a call about Reinhardt, and I go to Reinhardt. <laughs> and so I leave Reinhardt, go to Pell City. He's at Chattanooga. We stay in contact. Then I go to West Alabama. He goes to Murray State because that's where Chris Boone goes and because Boone hires him at Murray State. And then – Coach Healy hires him at Austin P to be co-defense coordinator, and he calls like, "Hey man, you be interested in coming to Austin P?" And I'm like, "Yeah, like, let's come check it out." And so I had an opportunity to go to Murray State, Tennessee Tech, and Austin P. All at the same time, it's really crazy. I was feeling like a rock star, kind of like, "Man, I must be that guy," you know. <laughs> and so my wife, I made a mistake when I went to West Alabama. I didn't tell my wife about the that I took the job, she found out from one of my buddies. That <laughs> she was like, hey, he was like, he asked her, was she excited about going? And she was like, going where? So that was a long story. I didn't tell her because I didn't want her to move. Cause I, I, guess, I, I guess that's better than finding out on Twitter. Yes, yeah. <laughs> well, you know, Twitter was just about to start blowing up. It wasn't quite as big. And so we were at a convention, and, like, Coach Satterfield from Tech and Coach Healer from uh, Austin P were calling, like, hey, man, what do you want to do? What do you want to do? And I get my wife the phone. I say, hey, will you call one of these guys and tell her where we're going? And I go back to hanging out with my buddies. <laughs> and so she comes back in. She said, hey, let's go pee. And I was like, oh, man, okay. Man, they were not very good, but okay. <laughs> so uh, that's how I wound up at Austin P. Like, you know, he offered me a job, but, like, it really came down to my wife wanted to live in Clarksville because it was a really nice town, and she had opportunities for jobs, and that was a good fit for us, and that's how we wound up in Clarksville. Yeah, I mean, when you, when you say they're not good, 29-game losing streak is what you guys inherited. Uh, Will Healy's in his first year as a head coach coming from Chattanooga. He, he brings a few guys with him from Chattanooga, Marcus West being one mm -hmm. of them. I know Carter Crutchfield mm -hmm. came from that Chattanooga staff, and so you guys had a – very young staff, uh, inexperienced staff, but yeah, I was the oldest guy on the staff. <laughs> I, I was the only, well, that, that was 2016, so I would have been 38, and I was the oldest guy on the staff. <laughs> and so it's it's you guys have to hit the recruiting trail. The first year you go 0 and 11, the next year you go 8 and 4. You you break that 29 game losing streak. You beat Moorhead State, which I I joked about you couldn't call that an OVC win, but. You know, oh, yeah. Moorhead State being a Pioneer League, and then they play a OVC oh, and everything yes, else. You know, yes, you, you might be able to slide that oh, one yeah. under the radar. But you guys have a great season that year. And so, again, going back to your first stint here at Jacksonville State, you build up a team, you win three OVC championships and set it on a course to win five in a row. And you look back at what Austin P did last year, 11-4, and four, their best run in the playoffs, and they beat us 52-33. Yeah. Well, and the thing was about it was the, you know, it's very tough. Like, you, you go through sports and, like, you have highs, you have lows, and you have different experiences that you go through the, the game of athletics and any kind of sport you play. And that was by far one of the, 
toughest years that I've ever been in because as a coach, you always feel like you can be the difference in at least one game. As a coach, you feel like I can coach my guys up to where we can win one game. And when you don't achieve that, you feel like you – like I was – like, you know, I wasn't a very good husband, a very good dad. I didn't want to be around people. I was like, man, I just don't want to – I just don't want to be around people because you feel like you are a loser because you cannot win and you can't find a way to win. Out of all the creative stuff we tried to do, it just didn't work. But what you don't understand is you're just laying the foundation. So now once they start to believe in what you're doing, now when you believe in it, then we start getting success and all the stuff that the other teams are mocking you about doing. Now they fear it because now you, you're creating that momentum, that energy, and they cannot, they can't find a way to get themselves up to that energy level and, all, and that you're on. And to see the success they had this year is really cool because most of the guys that were the playmakers, the Cordell Jackson, the Benico Haller, the Josephus Smith, and Javon Craig, well, those are the guys that believed in a vision and took a chance on guys that were 0-11, you know, and a program that won one game in four years. And those guys that making all those plays were guys that took a chance on us and came in. And you're starting to see it in year three and year four, those guys were successful, and they had a really, really, really good year. Looking back on it, um, I can't remember. I want to say it was the 2016 season, and I know Will Healy was on the elevator. It was uh, it was the year that Austin P went 0 and 11. Uh, Jacksonville State beat him here at home, 34 to 14. I came out at the press box about the same time the Austin P coaches were, and I knew Coach Healy from when we were both at Chattanooga. Mm-hmm. And I think Marcus West might have been on yep. the elevator. And you may have been there, and I don't know if you remember this or not. Uh, we got onto the elevator, and it was it was in Stadium Tower, mm-hmm. and uh, press the button to go down. We stop on one of the floors in between. A JSU student gets onto the elevator, hits the button. We all wear similar colors. colors. We're all oh, yeah. black and red. And uh, the student says, "Who are we playing today? Austin Perry?" <laughs> and and Coach Healy. <laughs> Coach Healy just said, that's right, Austin Perry. And when, <laughs> when we got to the bottom floor, he said, uh, you got to make them know your name. And that, that was, and he, he walks off the elevator and goes out onto the field. But, you know, you, you inherit a team that's, you know, just, just terrible. And uh, you guys go in and turn it around. Do you, think you, do you think people know the name Austin P now? I think what we, what we did uh, in – like I said, winning and losing is contagious. And so what happened is in 2016, we were 0-11. And so we started 17 season off. We asked, we had a team meeting, and we asked, how many people in this room have won a game at Austin Peay State University? Well, when you counted the hands, there were seven. So you have a team full of 100-plus guys on the team, and only seven people have won a football game at your university. And those were seven guys that were redshirt that were redshirted and they were seniors that won the one game that had been won in four years. And so after we beat Moorhead State, the way the fans came on the field and tore down the goalpost, and, like, I, I keep a piece of goalpost on my desk. From that point, I keep it – I take it everywhere I go uh, to, to make sure to understand that never take a win for granted. If you beat somebody 21 to 14 and you're like, oh, man, we should have killed them, no, you won the game, take it, be happy with it, celebrate it, enjoy it. And those guys were coming on Sunday. We were sitting there because our offices were in the stadium. And just to watch those guys come in and walk the field like you would on a pregame Saturday, like, man, we can't believe we just won a game. I mean, we probably had about 30 guys that came over in different groups of two and three and five and six that came over and just walked up and down the field. Like, like, and they were just sitting there like, oh, like you would have thought we just won a national championship, Super Bowl. And that feeling is so out just like – that's when you feel like, man, you know what? This is why I do what I do because that guy got to feel something that he's wanted, worked his butt off, and he had a chance to experience it, and I was able to be a part of his experience. And it it, it was probably one of the best moments I've ever had in coaching altogether, watching those guys after that win. Because, I mean, like when you go on 11, I mean, people talk about you in class. I mean, you have to. I mean, you think about it. you walked out, you walk through campus, and you go to the cafeteria, you go out to parties. Man, oh man, you play football, y'all suck. You know, like <laughs> it, you know, it's hard. I mean, they were telling us, hey, if y'all win two games, we'll put a statue of every coach on the staff in the city if y'all could just win two games. And that was the going joke. 
You know, and after we won the second, we like, okay, where's the statue at? <laughs> and then they're like, oh, well, now we got to get three. <laughs> you know, <laughs> you know. So, but but it was a cool time, and those guys bought into it. Like Gunnar Shalado would probably be one of the best linebackers that I've ever coached, and he's one of the guys that I was so upset the the result that we were getting as a football team that he led the country in tackle for eight weeks, and all I would do is tell him how bad he was every day. Like, man, you <laughs> suck, man. Come on, like you're terrible, and. The, and my wife told me, like, one thing I always do when I got from Coach Stewart is I would always bring the guys over, like, once a week to the house and we cook and we eat and just let them see you be a husband, be a dad, and kind of see you away from just the guy with the whistle and the hat that's yelling, screaming, and coaching you up in the meeting room all the time. And she told me, she said, you must didn't like your guys this year. And I was like, what are you talking about? She said, you didn't bring them over to eat dinner much. I said, yes, I did. She said, no, they came over one time. And I was like, oh, my gosh. I said, I, you know, just stuff that you don't notice. And, you know, one thing about a coach, your wife always, she's coaching you up all the time. And she told me that. And I was like, man, and I apologized to Gunn in front of the team. And I said, man, I did a crappy job of celebrating your successes. And I let the result of a football game diminish the what you did at Austin Peay during this year. I've never coached a guy that's led the country. I will a Craig A.G. on punt returns. But a guy that's led the country for eight weeks in a statistical category I've never coached a guy that's done that in a, a position player. And I was like, man, I didn't enjoy it. It didn't celebrate it because it was – I was so upset about, hey, we're getting beat every week. Mm-hmm. Knowing that, hey, we have – I mean, like if we would have won a game of 16, you could have been a millionaire if you bet 100 bucks because you probably would have – the odds were probably 10,001 for us to win a game. And so just going through that, man, experience and stuff like that is it makes you change as a coach. It makes you appreciate – the the work you go through in the in the detail and the process of what you go through through the week to have that celebration and that enjoyment on a Saturday night after a football game. After that 2017 season, your career takes you to Central Arkansas. You spend a year in Conway, mm-hmm. Arkansas. How did you wind up on the purple field? So, <laughs> on the stripes is what what it's called <laughs> the stripes because uh, the purple and gray field. Uh, so the staff there goes to South Alabama. Okay, and so the offensive coordinator has a chance to go to South Alabama, or but he decides not to go because they're, he was a great quarterback at, at UCA, and they offered him the head coaching job, and he decides he wants to stay and be the head coach versus going to South Alabama as a coach. And so his good friend is, hey, man, you know how you talk about things. Like, man, whenever I'm a head coach, I'm going to hire you to be my defense coordinator. He's like, yeah, I'm going to do it. And, you know, it's one of those plans you talk about never knowing – if it's going to ever happen. Well, his buddy gets a chance to go to South Alabama. He's like, hey, man, we're going to stay and be my defense coordinator. like, nah, I'm going to South. <laughs> so <laughs> he didn't have a defense coordinator, and he talked to Greg Stewart, who's the guy that coached me mm-hmm. here and that I worked under here, and he said, ask him, if you were looking for a defense coordinator, who would you recommend? And he told him me, and so he called me, and I went out one Sunday, and we sat down for about three, four hours and talked, and, you know, he slept on it. He called, offered me the job, and, I told him I wanted to talk with Coach Healy, and I talked to Coach Healy, and he said, hey, you know, man, that's a great opportunity. It's hard for me to tell you not to go be a coordinator at top ten program in the country, you know. And so I went on and took the job, and it was a pretty cool experience, man. Like, that was my first time being at an FCS school or a smaller school where you were a big, big deal. Mm-hmm. Like, when I walked into Walmart, they were playing the UCA football highlight tape for about three months. I was like, man, this is – you know, I was feeling pretty <laughs> – like, man, this is a pretty big deal. And so, like, everybody knows who you are. Like, when you go in the store, like, hey, coach, hey, you know, I got good luck this week. I mean, they know they don't know you, but they know who you are. And it was really, really cool to experience that. And so, I had a good time there just being in Arkansas. First time being that far away from Alabama and Georgia. And uh, it was pretty cool. My wife struggled a little bit being from her uh, mom is about 12 hours from – she's from South Carolina, so about 12 hours. But we had a good time there. I had some, met some really good people, still talked to them. And, uh, you know, if I ever get close to going back over there, I would love to go back there. Have some beautiful lakes over there. Uh, so, But it was a good time working for Coach Brown. It was a good dude. And the guys on the staff, it was some really good dudes over there. I got to see that field for the first time uh, spring 2018. We were there. I was there with the basketball team. We were playing in the college basketball invitational. So, and so Des Curry when oh you yeah. were playing. So 
I come over to the hotel. I see voice where y'all stand. I didn't know if we overlapped then or yes, not. Yes, because I came by and because Dez, my son and Dez played basketball together here at Jacksonville High School. And so he's like, uh, hey, I'm coming to Central Arkansas. I was like, okay. So I talked to voice in the hotel uh, parking lot. Yeah. Came over, I saw Dez and voice over in the hotel parking lot. Conway, uh, Arkansas is where we spent it was uh it was after the basketball game we we beat UCA mm-hmm. um and which I didn't know until later that Scotty Pippen, Pippen that's where that. Pippen yeah. played until I watched the last dance that oh yeah that should have been something that came up in my basketball notes but it didn't yeah um but it was uh that night we we played an early game and we had all walked over to I think it was an Outback Steakhouse or a Longhorn oh, yeah. Steakhouse and was sitting there with Coach Harper Shannon Greg Seitz. And uh, started seeing some news on Twitter and talking about some bad weather that was coming through and stuff. And people mm-hmm. were kind of watching out for it. And it was it was setting at that. I, I'm pretty sure it's an Outback Steakhouse setting there when I heard that the tornado had hit oh, yeah. Jacksonville. Mm-hmm. And it was at that point that Greg came over to me and he said, I'm, I'm going to have to go. And we I had ridden with Greg from. Nashville, we had worked the first and second rounds of the NCAA tournament. Uh-huh. And I, I rode with Greg to Conway, right. and Greg drove through the night to get back to Jacksonville, and then I jumped on the basketball bus and went from Arkansas to Denton, Texas, where we were going to play right. North Texas yeah. a couple of days ago. But that was a that was a wild moment for me, just because you're you're away from home. My my car's sitting at the Pete. I don't know what's hit it. I don't know if the car is even still here or not. I had friends drive by and tell me, yeah, your car's still here. Yeah. But for you, was that something that when you heard about the news there, uh, you know, was that still close to you? It, it, it is because so like when when we moved from here in 2014, we bought our house uh, on 12th Street behind the Stone Center in 2006. So we've still we've owned it. We've we have not lived in it since 2014, and so but we still own it, and uh, it's been rented out. And so, uh, like, just because you know so many people here, so we were here when the uh, storm came through on April 27th, mm-hmm. and so like Mike Davis's house, we went out and like we went out because like it was so surreal. Like you see the stuff on television, and if you've never really been in the the damage or the aftermath of a tornado or anything like that, you really don't, it doesn't give it any justice on television because we went to his house and this was, I can't remember what year it was. I just remember it was April 27th. 2012, right? 2012, right. So we go to his house where you can see the foundation of his house and he was telling us about where stuff was. So he was like, my washing machine and dryer was right here. Well, you turn and look, it was about 150 yards down the road. Like his car was in the driveway in the carport, and you could tell where it was turned. It had turned around and did a 360, and like stuff was all over the place, you know. Just and to really see it, like when you go in to pick up the clothes to try to bag them up, they're wet from the rain and stuff. It's really surreal when you see it live in that color. And so, like where our house is, uh, two houses down, the house is it was nothing left but the foundation of the the storm that hit in 2018. And so the there was a lady that was renting our house, Miss Nancy, and she was in there. She was like, "Well, I was just in the basement, and I was like, man, I was so worried about her being in, just being in the house, knowing how close it was, and knowing it was right out here at the the point and all the complexes, knowing that our house is about you know half a mile away from all that stuff, and it's just it's always close. Anytime, like I've been in, involved with Jacksonville." the city and the state and the university since 1996. So anytime anything good or bad happens here, it's always near and dear to my heart just because this is essentially where I became who I am today. And I spent, my mom tells me all the time, you've been in Alabama long and you've been in our hometown. Mm -hmm. And so like it's near and dear. So anytime anything like that happens, it's always, you always find out about it. Somebody always calls and, hey man, what about this? And hey, you heard about this? And so, People keep you up to date, but it is something that was near and dear to me, and, you know, you keep up with it. After that 2018 season, you get the chance to meet up with Will Healy again. You go to Charlotte and Mm -hmm. spend uh, one season at Charlotte 2019. What was it like stepping up to Conference USA, getting to play in that conference, to coach in that conference, and to be at that level? The the (laughs) – one of the the standers. It's amazing how many people work in a football building. <laughs> like I was like, oh my gosh, man! Like it was like a whole nother football team. Uh-huh. I was like, man, like it's people everywhere. You know, you have people that you know that sit out front. You have people that 
all the supplies. I mean, it's just so many people that have jobs and and working a football facility, and I had never experienced that. And so just having the amount of people there that you get a chance to, like you get a chance to really focus on football because they're there's a recruiting department. So like, hey, you know, if I'm looking at Tyler, hey, tell me, I'll, Tyler, I really like Tyler. Well, when you come back on your desk, you have a whole profile built up about Tyler from, you know, what he likes, what he doesn't like, what he lives with. And it's like, man, like, hey, we want, I'm on, Tyler's supposed to come up today. What time need he be here? Oh, we already talked to him. It's already said. So that was the biggest thing I know about the different levels of the amount of support staff and people that are just around the building that, allow you to really coach football and you know dive into the football aspect but the uh just coming from arkansas where in in the southland it was a it was different because in the southland it's more of a true as we call it as coaches more of a bus league where you don't fly you travel by bus everywhere like i watched the sun come up and <laughs> on the way home after a game three times in 2018 just from playing in hammond louisiana southeast louisiana you know we drive the bus back to conway and so being in Conference USA, well, now nah, it was like, I mean, we flew to ODU, which is a four-hour trip. Mm -hmm. And, I mean, we flew to West Kentucky, which is a four-hour trip. Well, we were on the plane for 30 minutes, and we were there. And so the travel is different. and uh, But the, the football part is all the same. You know, you have, some, you have some good coaches there, just like you have in every league, and get a chance to, you know, you get the, the Lane Kiffins and the, all those guys, and you see you see them on television, but then now you get a chance to see them live and in color, and what you see on TV is how they go on the game. Coach Stock still and some really good coaches in that league, and, you know, it was fun getting to be there and kind of going through the same thing of getting a chance to go to the first bowl game and seeing those guys who were fighting so hard to get a chance to do it, and it was really cool. You go to the Makers Wanted Bahamas Bowl, the first bowl game in program history. You win seven games. That's the most wins the 49ers have ever had. You win six in Conference USA against those Lane Kiffins and Bill Clarks that you were talking about, and you win five in a row. So, again, you're part of a staff that sets a precedent, you know, wherever you go. So what did it mean to be able to do that with the 49ers in a, in a town that, you know, that – you have the Panthers. Yeah. It, it, it's somewhat of a football town, but mm -hmm. that's not – when I think about a football school, that's I don't think you think UNCC. Of. Yes. It, it, it's, it's so crazy. The amount of people, like, you know, when you go to places, it, it's always interesting to see how – what the support and what people really think of you. And it's so crazy that once we hit that run of, like – the first game we had, it was crazy. I think it may have been the first time the stadium had been sold out. We played Gardner Webb, had a really good game. We go up to AMP, uh the next week. We play them really close. It was like, it was kind of like, man, they were every the expectation was AMP was supposed to just beat us by about seventy. Okay, well we play them to fifteen points. Well everybody's like, oh man, y'all gonna be great. And I'm like, no, we got beat. <laughs> They're like, no, man, y'all play app normally be so it's about 30 or 40, man. Y'all lost my hand. So, and so the fans were like, yeah, we're ready to see it. And, you know, and and so they were hungry for a, for a successful football program. And we were just able to get on a run. And we had, you know, and anytime you have a run, you have some breaks that go your way. And, you know, we had opportunity to do some great things. And it worked out really great. But those fans coming on the field and seeing those guys that were – Breaking down, crying after we won, uh, became bowl eligible versus uh, North Texas. Man, it was unbelievable. It was raining, not a clear day. I mean, and the fans were, they stormed the field. We got fine, but the Conference USA <laughs> said, hey, because they were first time in school history, we'll avoid uh, the fine because you're not supposed to storm the field. And, you know, it was really cool experience because at the end of the day, it's all about the kids and what they get to experience. And my coach told me, and they not so one of the coaches I played for told me, and they, and they not in a sarcastic way, that I will coach a whole lot more games than you ever play. Mm -hmm. And so, knowing that I will get to coach, whether it's coaching at Jacksonville Rec League, I will get to coach a lot more games than the guys will get to play. When they have success, it's always rewarding because you know, like man, that's something they will remember, and you will have a bond with that guy. Now to the end of time, if he see you, he'll talk about, man, coach, you remember we went to the bowl game the first time. You win your first conference championship. You win your first game. And those are the things that, like, you want to have a, a lasting impact on the guys that you coach and the people that you're around. Tell me about your decision to 
come back home and what it means to be back home. Man, it's awesome, man. Like Coach Gross, man, you know, we, he and I, have, we've stayed in contact through the years just from my time at West Alabama. It's, just, it's crazy how the game of football and life works. So we'll get to West Alabama, 2014. We're okay. Well, we're playing Jacksonville State. I'm like, man, how crazy is that? Like, okay, you come back to a place that you've been to and first time ever being on the visitor sideline. So in 2014, well, guess what? It's also the 10-year reunion of the 2004 <laughs> Coach Championship. So all these guys that you're coaching coming to the locker room, hey, Coach, come on. You ain't going to come. I was like, man, look, do you realize, like, I'm coaching the game. I can't come and hang out at halftime for them to <laughs> acknowledge the, the 10-year reunion. But I appreciate you coming over here, and I'm going to hang out with you after the game, and right now we'll hang out. But, like, during halftime, I'm going to go and make adjustments. So he and I just stayed in contact, and we've talked through. And there was a position that came over, had a coach that had an opportunity to go uh, to uh, UT Chattanooga, and he asked, would I be interested in coming back? And I said, yeah. And so I came down and talked with he and talked with Coach Sigler, and it was just, hey, I'm going to just find something for you to do. I got a, I have an open spot, and I'd like for you to be down here. And so, you know, he gave me an opportunity, and I appreciate him uh, a bunch for giving me an opportunity to come back. And, it's just been surreal coming back and just seeing the people, like like the my people over there. I call them my people, like just from the people that are in the payroll department, the registrar's office, the cafeteria, housing, just seeing all the people, the maintenance shop, all the guys. Like most of it, like when I needed something done in my house, I just go to the maintenance shop. I'm like, <laughs> hey, man, who, which, oh, okay, who, uh, uh, talking to Kibo and Odell Christopher and, um, uh, like, hey, who's the who's the painter? All right, I need I need my house painter. Okay, there's a painter. All right, how much you charge? Okay, you know, and just that kind of thing, man. It's so like when you're at a place for so long, when something goes wrong or you need something, you know who to call. Like I still bank here. Like Lamar Sims is my bank at Chihau Bank. Like I hadn't lived in Jacksonville since 2014, but my all my direct deposits every everywhere I've ever worked, I still bank through <laughs> Chihau Bank. You know, just because he and I coach travel ball and like. He knows, like, hey man, hey man, I need, I got to get this done tomorrow. Okay, we'll find a way to make it happen. Just being, having that comfort of knowing you can trust people to make things happen for you. It's always cool to be able to get that done. And like the guys that coach, I tell Coach Ogle this all the time. He gets mad at me. Like everything starts at the travel baseball park or at the <laughs> rec league park. So all the guys that I'm friends with, like when your kids grow up and they move on, like. We coached the travel baseball team, and we called them the game cops. So you had the Shannon Bells, the Darren Carters, the Keith McCords, Ronnie Royd, all these dads that – Lamar Sims, all these dads that we hung out, and we were living our dreams through our kids. And so we would hang out. Like, Shannon is the guy. He runs Farmers Furniture. Darren is the guy who runs Sherman Williams. Ron is the guy that works for uh, – I can't remember the bread company. And Keith McCoy is the home builder, and Lamar's the banker. So you had a – and then you throw a coach in there. <laughs> So you just had this misfits of dads that were trying to coach and live their dreams. And, you you know, you build lifetime relationships. Like, we all text each other like on Father's Day because we would always be playing some tournament. And just that kind of stuff makes it cool when you've been at a place so long. And, like, that's the downside of moving around, which I've moved around a bunch since I left here. You know, just being in a place one to two years, you don't get a chance to really dive in and ingrain yourself into a community where you can see the kids that were in kindergarten or sixth grade, you see those kids grow up. So that's been one of the big things about coming back here, of getting a chance to do it. And then me and my buddy, we bought an RV in 2012 because we go to the Talladega race, Adam Ross, and, uh, you know, getting a chance to go uh, hang out at the RV down in the uh, Blue Eye RV park down there. I'm a regular, so going hanging out down there. And so it's always fun just to get to do the things that you used to do when you were here. And it's you you can you have a lot more experience and you're able to do some cool stuff and get a chance to coach football, be around some great dudes in the in the process. And you got to spend two years at the home of NASCAR. Oh yeah. How was that as far as uh, being a fan and being able to be? You know, right there where everything is happening with Charlotte Motor Speedway. And then I think the craziest thing about UNCC is that they've actually got a major for people that are interested in getting into uh, motorsports. I, I drove by it every day. The The engineering for NASCAR, as you're going into the field house, it's right on the left mm -hmm. as you're going into campus, going to the field house. I drove by it every day. It have a big old, it's a big old NASCAR sign outside. Mm -hmm. But we got, I was lucky enough, we got a chance to go through Mr. Hendricks, who owned Hendricks Motorsports. Oh, yeah. We got to go through and we did a tour of it. And That campus is amazing. Yeah, so uh, I had no idea it set up just like a football program. Mm -hmm. They have a strength coach. They have a trainer. 
they have a video department. And so they sit down and what the guy told us, he said they have off on Mondays. Mm-hmm. They work on Tuesday, Wednesdays, and Thursdays. And they go in for three hours a day. They spend an hour lifting. They spend an hour training. And they have an hour video time. And so they have a mini track that's set up. And they video. They use DV Sport, which is one of the – the XOs and DV Sports is two of the major college program uh, video editing systems. And they record it and they watch it. And they, he said, so we like, what do you look for in your pit crew guys? He's like, well, we look for guys that can have, that can bend, that are explosive, that are powerful, and that are athletic. It's like, well, that's what we look for in football. Mm-hmm. And he said what they did, they transitioned into trying to teach a mechanic to be athletic. They try to find someone that's athletic to teach them to be a mechanic. Mm-hmm. And I was like, man, that makes sense. And so, we got a chance to go through that campus and see how they make the parts. Like they make all the parts for their cars and they do. He used to outsource the paint, the body shops, the paint and all that. So now he, Mr. Hendricks just said, Hey, I want to do it all here. So they make all their carburetors and starters, everything they make. The guy put it in the machine. It's a hunk of metal and they just hit the diagram what they want. Poop. And this thing just chews up the metal and out comes the part. And we got to see his private car collection, which is, unbelievable if you ever got it did you get a chance to go i've I've not been to the private car collection but i've heard about it and i've heard that uh mr hendrick has a it's basically a replica of his hometown his old square in there and i yes i I don't know how he managed this but he has a his his hometown used to have a dairy queen and and he has a ice cream machine an ice cream machine in there from dairy queen that Derek Wayne normally doesn't hand those out, but he he got yes. his hands on one. It's an official like, <laughs> and so the the guy that was showing us around, I can't remember his name now, but he was showing us around. So Mr. Hendricks likes the Derek Wayne ice cream. So the ice cream sits in there, and it's in there for it's only good for fourteen days. So there's somebody who goes in there, and they have to make sure it's trained. They say it didn't happen one time, and Mr. Hendricks was not very happy. And, they, and one thing about it, they say they do not want to make Mr. Hendricks uh, make let him get unhappy. Keep the boss happy. Yes, and so, but it's a replica. So it has a Dairy Queen. It has his first job, the car shop he worked at, the first bank. He has a replica of the guy that used to pull him over when he was speeding through town. And the police car has a, a doll that's made up like him. And has the all this stuff, and it's really cool. All the cars that go in, and they, the employees will tell you like, if he goes out and buys another car, what happens is he can say, "Hey, I want that car in this corner." Well, when he wants it in that corner, you may have to move fifteen cars to put that <laughs> one in. Now you don't crank the cars up; you have to push them out, mm-hmm. and you push them out to push this one in, and then now you put the other fifteen back. But it was a really cool experience getting a chance to go through that and. His man cave is really has some really nice artifacts in there. Like some, a lot of famous people have been through his deal, and he has a glass floor, which is really cool. And it's basically like a case, and you walk over all these artifacts, like you have your baseballs there. So he has like guitars and uh, autographs and things like that, and pictures, and it's really, really a good, really cool thing. Uh, Charlotte, though, I tell people like it's a little more upscale than Talladega, mm-hmm. so <laughs> it's a little more. Uh, you can you can wear your good shoes in the infield at, at Charlotte, <laughs> and they will come out okay. <laughs> uh, if you were to wear your good shoes in the infield at Talladega, they, you probably want to throw them away. <laughs> so, uh, so that's what I tell people, and people always look at me funny. But only people that have been to Talladega and will understand. So, <laughs> so but it was cool getting a chance to see it. And we had a couple of dinners at the Speedway, and they do a really cool thing at Christmas time. They set up lights. Kind of, I guess I've heard people talk about Callaway Gardens where you drive through the track and you ride around the track and they have like Christmas lights and people take the kids and families through the track down there with Christmas lights. So that was pretty cool. We were having a dinner and we got a chance just to look down and see it as we were having a dinner and you got to see the like, you know, see the people driving through. So it was pretty cool. I was with UAB in 2016 with the baseball team and we went to UNCC and Dell Jarrett's son was playing baseball for Charlotte. Not. I've I've got the eighty eight UPS car sitting right here yeah. uh, behind me, but uh, I was I was pretty starstruck by that, and I, I I contained myself. I didn't run down to him and shake his hand or anything, yeah. but it it was cool to just be like that's you know Del Jarrett just sitting on the front row of the baseball stadium watching his son play. Just you know nobody it, it, a lot like like Randy Owen is here. You, yes, you know Randy's in the building. It's it's like that's just. Randy, where it's mm-hmm. like when you come in, like, hey man, that's Mr. Owens, like mm-hmm. you know. But it's, and so it's, 
and Charlotte is a bigger city where like so like you could at any point in time if you were downtown you could see Cam Newton or Michael Jordan at any point in time just randomly like you know you go to restaurants like I think Michael Jordan lives above Eddie V's or somewhere like that it's a upscale steakhouse I think it overlooks the Charlotte Knights stadium yes and so like you just go in and like at any point in time you could see cam riding a scooter through town or like and it was just really it's really a cool experience of i've never lived in a city that that far that big and like i drove 28 minutes to work one way and like it just drove me insane every day mm-hmm. I, like i can't believe i drive this far every day but that's when you talk to people that have lived in a bigger city that's like oh that's nothing and so uh but it was a cool city, and like you, that kind of stuff happens all the time. Like you just like the All Star Game was there, mm-hmm. and so like I mean, you can see like the LeBron, all those guys are downtown Charlotte. Like if you go downtown, and it's like, hey, you can see whoever you want, or whenever the Panthers are playing a team, or whenever the Hornets are playing somebody, you know, you just see whoever, and it's it's a really cool place. So it's an expensive town, and it's a lot of money in that town. Like you, you know, it's not quite the glitz and glamour of Atlanta, mm-hmm. but it has this. It has some of the, those qualities and stuff. So, how long is your commute now to work? Uh, I drive from Blue Hour V Park. I drive it's seven minutes. It's seven minutes longer, so that'd be <laughs> thirty-five minutes. So that's why I tell people, you know, being in Jacksonville, you know, essentially when you're in Jacksonville, if you drive ten minutes, you can get from every everywhere you need to get in ten minutes. You can get there, like from my house at Stone Center to campus it, it, to Walmart, which is totally two different ends. Jermaine mm-hmm. Springs to Walmart. About eight minutes, you're there, <laughs> <laughs> and you know all the you know all the back roads too, and all the, all the oh, shortcuts yeah. too. So oh yeah, makes it much easier. Yeah, so but it's been it's been cool just cause like in the morning. So what I do, I get up about six six thirty, and so one of the guys that uh, we hang out with out there, uh, Brandon Whittington, he uh he bought a boat, and so I get up in the morning, and so I our spot is right. Uh, probably a two minute boat ride from Interstate 20. So when you go over the bridge, like anytime anybody goes over 20, I can see you. So we drive it, and I get out in the morning. I drive right under, the, right down under the bridge. I watch the sun come on up, then I drive the boat back, then I come on to work. So whether it's a good day or bad day, I start off on a good track because I get my boat right in before I come to work. You were talking about some of those teams that you know you've had to come back and face, and this year on the schedule, you've got Sela coming to mm-hmm. Burgess Snowfield. And uh, obviously, you've got Austin P on the schedule. Mm-hmm. So, do you have a little bit of insight on those teams? You know, having having played them and some of them coached, that whenever they come in here, you can say, "I kind of have a pretty decent idea." Well, what, I think, what's like, going at the, end, like the the big thing is, man, you just know, like, knowing the personality, like the kids, are like, and I tell people this all the time: you go to the Little League Park, you go to Jermaine Springs, you go to Oxford Lake, you go to any of these parks, and you show me the kids that are playing the game when they're five, six, seven. And when they're 20 years old, they're going to be making those same plays, <laughs> you know, because their natural instinct takes over in the heat in the in that moment. What they've done all their life takes over. And so, like those guys, man, like they just you just what you know is know their personality. You know, like, hey, if you keep messing with that guy, he's going to eventually make a play. <laughs> you know, like, you know, you can stay over there and keep trying this guy or keep attacking this guy. Just know eventually he's going to make a play. And then we're going to say, like, what happened? Mm-hmm. So that's what you know about the guys, just to knowing that those guys are going to be good enough to make plays. And it's always fun when you play those kind of guys because uh, just because you, you want them – it's that battle that you have with yourself, that in turn battle. You want them to be successful, but you want you don't want them to be successful against you. <laughs> and you know, like, man, that guy's good enough to make plays. Man, man, I hope he don't beat us, <laughs> you know. And so it's really fun. And, like, a lot of the parents, like, you know, one thing when I get in recruiting, I get – I. I try to be a really good relationship with the people that I recruit, like the parents and stuff, like parents that like you haven't coached that they didn't come to your university where you were, but you still talk to them on a regular basis. Like uh Ewell's mom, like I mean, I, I talk to Ewell's mom probably once a month or once every two months, like all the time. Like all the time. Like, hey coach, what you doing? Like, you know, when his grandmother passed, like, hey, you know, you better make sure you talk to you, you know, his grandmother passed. And so, you know, hey, coach, I need some of the, they love the chocolate-covered uh, pecans that mm-hmm. they sold in Clarksville because he came on a visit to Austin Peay. And so just the people you be in a relationship with, like Ahmad. Ahmad came on a visit to Central Arkansas. <laughs> so, like, you recruited some of these guys. Dyson Duck played when I was coaching at <laughs> Pell City. And I was trying to figure out, like, man, how did you – keep playing like that was 2013 you, your time should be up 
But just recruiting some of these guys and you get to play against some of those same guys, it's all about the relationship. And you don't want you want them to be their best and you want us to be at our best and, you know, whatever happens at the end, that happens. And, but you just enjoy the competition and the the knowing that those guys are going to get jacked up when you go into town, just like our guys get jacked up. And so it's always fun to be on there with people you know. You've got a relationship with some of the guys that are on the team right now. And over the last few months, you've had to uh, get acquainted with some of the guys. Mm -hmm. Talk about some of those guys that you're going to be coaching at outside linebacker well, and special teams. So, like, DJ Coleman, like, I mean, he's a – when you look at him, I mean, he's built just like what you want. And so he does a really good job. Had a, had a, had a good year last year, expecting really big things out of him. And I told him uh, his – the. I promise you, whatever his expectations are of himself, they won't come nowhere near what my expectation of him will be. So he and I have had that conversation. He understands he wants to be great and he wants to be coached. And so he does a really good job of wanting to, you know, wanting to buy into what we've asked him to do. And he's done a really good job of it. You have uh, Marquise Troutman, who's a guy that got banged up last year. Have got a chance to see him run in the two days of practice and the early uh, uh, mat drills that we were having. Got a chance to see him move, so I don't really know what he can do, but I'm expecting big things from him just from his body type and uh, his speed and athleticism. Uh, to Corey Russell is the the wild card of the bunch. You know, he's really, really, really athletic, and we did a deal where guys got to vote, and they all voted him as one of the top players on our defense. You know, we just got to get him honed in and just – Get him where he's consistent, where he he's consistent and not trying to prove every play that he's a great player when he is a great player. Just do what you're supposed to do every play. And then we have uh, Armstead, who's just moved in. Armstead Sanders, who just came in from Florida this spring. We moved him from inside linebacker to outside linebacker. So get a chance just see him. I saw one one clip of him coming off the edge rushing the passer. I think he's going to be a, have a really good chance of – you know, being a pretty good pass rusher for us. And then we have our signee from down the road and uh, Jalen J-Rock Swain. You know, I told him he better get his mind right because we're not bringing you here to the red shirt. You know, I want you to be able to come in and help us play because I watched him play. And the funny thing is I recruited him at Charlotte and I was like, man, like when I went by in the spring last year, he was – he got he was taller when I went by in January than he was when I went by in the spring. And I was like, Coach Esther's like, man, you messing up on J-Rock. I was like, Coach, he just ain't big enough, man. He just ain't big enough. So I went, he was like, you need to come by. So I went by in January. I was like, dang, Coach, I messed up. Like, he bigger than I thought. I told you. I told you. That's what Coach Esther was saying to me. But expecting big things for him and, you know, just – I think I have a really good group. I like the guys. You know, they do a really good job of communicating. Like, if stuff's going on, and that's all I'm about, just communicate, man. Like, I'm not one – like, I'm blessed and lucky enough to have two kids that are just as almost as old or if not older than most of the guys on this team. So, I understand that there's life. So, I'm not – I'm not how I was when I first started back in 2002 and three, where it's like, I don't care what you do outside of this place. This is it. I don't care. It does not matter. I've become, in my old age, I became more of, more understanding, I guess is the, the word for it. But I feel pretty good about the bandit group and the specialist group. Like, you have Preston Knight, you know, he had has a really strong leg. And, you know, he came, he had a, he had a bad game early in the year. And, and I think it kind of messed with his confidence a little bit. And that's what I told him, like, man, look. I, I told him, I said, man, all the special I coach, when you have a bad game, I'm going to ask you one question. He's like, what's that? I said, do you know how to punt? He's like, yeah. I said, well, go punt the ball. Because mm -hmm. <laughs> at the end of the day, that's what it is. Your your degree of difficulty is tougher than any position on the field. And the quarterback can throw an interception. If he throws a game winning touchdown, nobody ever care about the interception. So you you shank a punt, you can punt it. You can pin him inside the five every time. Man, he shanked that one punt. <laughs> so you remember for the one bad, not all the good. And so expecting big things from him. And then got Brian Wallace, who didn't have a great year last year. And, you know, he took a lot of the, lot of the blame for what happened last year. You know, everybody was on him, and he understands that. And I said, man, look, you just got to come in and do your job. Don't lose confidence in yourself. Because when you're a specialist, when you lose confidence, if you don't believe in you, nobody else will. And so his it's, his thing is confidence because it was really funny. He came to the special camp house to pee. <laughs> so I've been knowing B-Wall since he was a senior in high school. I went and, I went and visited B-Wall at Rogers High School in North Alabama. I went by the school and saw it. And so I'm just knowing him, and, and I know what kind of potential he has in his leg because I saw his leg work through a camp, and I know what he can do. And uh, 
We have Garrett Shelton that's coming back as a snapper. And so, you know, he's got a chance to be the guy, you know, I think he's got took big shoes to fill trying to replace Josh Brady, which is, mm-hmm. you know, it's always tough to to uh, fill the shoes of a three. Was he three or four time All American? Uh, think it was three time All American. Three time yeah. All American. You know, don't matter what position, it's always tough to fill those kind of shoes. Which I think, you know, will he be Josh Brady? But I don't want him to be Josh Brady. I want him to be the best version of Garrett Shelton. And so, you know, got those guys. Then you have Logan McVay, who's a a double duty guy who's going, you know, he'll work in at some doing some snapping, also while playing wide out and doing some other things for us. But I feel pretty good about the group, man. Like one thing that I've noticed here is, man, the guys work really hard, and you know, they they get after it, you know, and that's always a good thing. That's always a good place to start, you know. And then Coach Sigler and I watched some defensive film, and I told him that the guys are physical, so you're not coaching guys to run into people. They do a good job of that on their own, and. So I think we have a pretty good – I think we have a chance to be better than what we were last year, and I think it's just a matter of us just getting there, getting a chance to see if we're going to get a chance to do it and go from there. But I'm excited about the season, though. It's all – you know, getting a chance to go back and, like, the defense coordinator, EKU, he and I kind of came up through the ranks, Jake Johnson, and, you know, getting to see those guys and people that are in the league that you know, getting to see the uh, DP coach, Coach Smith from SEMO uh, and – just all the guys, like you know so many guys in this league that have been in this league and you know them and you get to see them and you get to talk to them. And now, okay, we're trying to beat each other, but then we start talking, okay, hey, man, how can you help us beat them? You know, like, so you just get to know those guys, man, and it's it's pretty cool. Like Coach Lovers, who got to be the interim head coach at uh, – Austin P, we got to hang. We hung out at Georgia Tech just randomly talking ball. He was there the same day I was, so we hung out there for a day or two just talking ball with their staff. And so you just get to see those guys, and it's cool being back, and you just ready to get the season started so we can see how it's going to be. I, I feel like I, I beat a dead horse because I, I talk about it every week, but it's, it's in the news, and right now cases are spiking with COVID-19. Mm-hmm. How challenging has that been for you guys as a coaching staff with voluntary workouts and – you know, having to worry about guys being healthy and how do you see that moving forward as the season Well, gets? I think what it does, man, it, it goes against everything you teach as a team. Like, as a team, you teach oneness, closeness, togetherness. Hey, hug your brother, get close, get tight. Well, now you're like, hey, stay away, stay away. And it goes against everything that these guys have been taught from the very beginning. Like, I've talked to some of my buddies that are coaching high school football and they're like, man, you know, like, when you call the team up, you hey, everybody get in tight. Now you're saying, hey, stay back. Mm-hmm. And, you know, they're, like, trained to, hey, everybody up at the end of practice. Well, you've been in enough practice you know when Coach says, hey, everybody up, everybody just. Mm-hmm. Well, now there is no everybody up. You know, the guys are breaking it down from six feet apart saying, hey, gang cops on three, one, two, three. And, like, it's not the same. And I think it's it's really tough. And I think the tough part is you tell those guys to do all that. Well, before the pandemic hit in March, well, these guys – didn't get to see each other. You used to seeing a dude at least six days out of a week, and now you don't see him for three months. Well, when they first come back, you know the first thing you want to do is just like when you saw a family member or somebody that you're really close to, the group of guys you went to high school with or college with, the first thing you want to do, hey, man, let's get together. <laughs> oh, hang out. And that's been the hard part because it goes against everything that you try to teach and that does game of uh, sports in general teachers how to be close be close knit and all that stuff and that's the hard part for me because I'm that hangout kind of guy like I, I love being around people and I love hanging out and just bringing people together and just finding a way to do something that's really cool no matter what it is whether it's cooking on the grill whether it's hanging out at the lake riding the boat or whether it's playing coaching football talking ball or getting them coached up so I think that's the tough part of trying to get those guys to understand that hey I know what you want to do I know what we coach you to do i know what you've been asked to do all your life playing sports but you got to find another way to do it and i think it's been tough on our guys because we had them broke nine in groups of 12 and like you know our trainers like hey man you can't see them you got to keep tell them they got to come in the field house this way this way and it's just been it's really different and i think you know once the guys get they've gotten used to the different and we'll be okay because it'll be a new normal and so i think once they get used to the new normal that we'll be fine well, Coach, I really appreciate you coming in today. Uh, I know we've, we've been talking for about an hour, and I've, I've enjoyed every minute. I know our fans are really going to enjoy it. But that phone sitting in that chair has been blowing up the entire time. I know I know you're a busy man, and I need to get you out of here. Yep, that's Coach Gross and uh, that's Coach Gross and Coach Sig. So <laughs> I guess that means, hey, <laughs> hey, when the boss calls, hey, we got, hey, police your boss. So that means the boss is calling. I got to go. 
Well, Coach, again, thanks so much for coming man, in I, today. I appreciate you having me on, man. It's been fun, man. It's always fun to catch up and talk, and especially talk about Gamecock football and Jacksonville and Jacksonville State because it's a really cool place. And, you know, for those people out there that haven't been, come by and check it out whenever you can, whenever we get open up. But it's a pretty cool place, and I love it here. I'd say your first podcast was success. All right, sounds good to me. <laughs> good luck this year, Coach. I appreciate it, Tyler. That'll do it for this week's edition of Behind the Beak. I hope that you and yours are healthy, and I'll talk to you again next week. I'll be back Tuesday with a brand-new episode and another guest. With that, I'm Tyler Brown saying thank you for listening, and go Gamecocks. This has been Behind the Beak, the official podcast of Jacksonville State Athletics. Look for new episodes each week or browse the archives on the Apple Podcast app or by visiting jsugamecocksports.com. For more on Jacksonville State Athletics, visit the official website of the Gamecocks, jsugamecocksports.com, and follow JSU on social media by searching at JSU Gamecocks on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram.